0: today on ag News daily
1: you can better believe if am radio goes to the side fm radio is going to follow and if it's not available in your vehicles yeah how about tractors and other technology as we move ahead
0: listeners welcome back to the ag News daily podcast may 25th the second to last day of school here for our local school district but Tanner and Delaney, yes, we brought back the rock star Delaney. You didn't have to listen to me two days in a row by myself, right?
2: Oh, but I think people like listening to you. I thought you did a great job, Tanner.
0: <laughs> Thanks. I don't uh, I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of them are big Delaney fans, and that's what helps drive this podcast forward. Were you the one that saved the calf out of the river out there in Yellowstone? <laughs>
2: No, but we're about three hours from Yellowstone, three hours from Glacier. So that's why I was not on the podcast yesterday. Listeners came out to Montana for the holiday weekend. And at least where we're at, Tanner, which is kind of in the northwest corner, north of Great Falls, Montana, things are really green, really nice looking out here. So they're certainly not dealing with drought, at least not yet.
0: That's good. It seems like our friends in a portion of the drought stricken areas are now getting too much rain. Seems feast or famine, unfortunately, to not use any better cliche than that. Flood watches are now issued for several counties in Texas Panhandle area. Storms are forecasted to continue to roll in tonight and into tomorrow. Excessive runoff may result in flooding of rivers, creeks, streams, and other low lying and flood-prone locations. Thunderstorms also for part of the Oklahoma Panhandle. Large hail, strong winds are likely. Heavy rainfall is to be expected. Storms will continue through Saturday, possibly causing a little bit of a ruin for Memorial Day weekend. Rain's also expected in parts of northern Iowa and Minnesota today. Scattered thunderstorms will be forecasted for the region also through parts of the weekend. But Delaney, there is potential large storm threats, as we reported on this week, coming to the eastern coast of the United States. Started off being hit. Having Guam being hit yesterday by a category four super typhoon. And thankfully, Guam su- basically survived with minimal damage. Only about a thousand of the island's 52,000 homes and businesses lost power. The winds did get up to 150 miles per hour, but for the most part, a lot of uh, all residents are deemed safe with no. Uh, injuries that have been reported so far so it seems that the roads are still passable and uh, they are encouraging people to file their news if somebody has been injured or uh, other detrimental factors have happened but that's 150 mile an hour winds is quite fast
2: that is i don't i think that i don't know how fast would it take for a wind to literally blow a person away i don't know but it seems like it's got to be close to that right
0: yeah, I would, I would assume, yes, because I feel like on 40-mile-an-hour to 50-mile-an-hour wind days that I could blow away.
2: <laughs> That's true. I feel that as well. Uh, but speaking of weather, Tanner, we know that weather impacts prevent plant acres frequently for producers. And I was just reading an article yesterday that said only about 50% of North Dakota was planted as of yet, calling into question how many prevent plant acres we are going to see up there. The USDA also released an announcement earlier this week, publishing a request for information, announcing a few public listening sessions and asking for public comments on possible changes to prevent plant crop insurance coverage. They said that the USDA's risk management agency will hold in-person and virtual listening sessions throughout the month of June and July and August. These in-person sessions include states of Arkansas, Arizona, California, Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Mexico, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Texas, and also accepting written comments to their request for information until September 1 A few of the things that they're looking for more information on related to prevent plant requests are harvest price options so feedback on whether to allow prevented planting payment calculations to be based on the higher of the projected price or harvest price the one in four rule which looks at um, what's been harvested, In the last one out of four crop years, the 10% additional coverage option, the contract price, whether prevent plant costs are higher for contracted crops and how prevent plant payments should be calculated for those, and then just some general feedback looking at how they could potentially expand the program for future years. So if you are interested in going to one of those listening sessions or sharing your information on that, you can head to the USDA's website and look for their request for information related to prevent plant crop insurance, Tanner.
0: That's a good resource for our listeners to have. Unfortunately, farmers in Iowa are paying 9% on average more for cash rent this year. The survey annually conducted by Iowa State University's Extension Office said that they set a brand new record this year, besting 2013's high watermark of $279 per acre on average, and that has now grown to $279 per acre. The survey polls Iowa farmers, landowners, bankers, and professional farm managers to use their best judgment for typical cash rent in their area. 91 out of the 99 Iowa counties experienced increases. The only counties that did not were the Des Moines County, Jefferson, Lucas, Muscatine, Van Buren, Wapello, Warren, and Woodbury counties. Since 2021, Delaney cash rental rates in Iowa have increased by 20%. The survey also found that average rents increased proportionately to land quality. So rent for high-quality land increased 11.1%, medium quality increased 8.6%, and low quality increased 6%. That's how we got to our average of nine. Cash rental rates have jumped significantly. And however, the experts now at Iowa State are saying that we could see slowed growth into 2024. So it be interesting to compare... Once we get to those levels, Uh, the Iowa State Extension officer noted that landowners consider return on their farmland investment when setting the rents. Since the 1990s, landowners had accepted lower returns, which averaged about 3 percent from 2010 to 2020. However, in 21 and 22, it dropped closer to 2 percent. So margins for landowners are also getting a little bit smaller. But there's your cash rent update for the state of Iowa.
2: I saw that as well. That's a little tight this year, Tanner, if you've already got higher input costs as well.
0: That's correct. We just hope it doesn't carry into next year.
2: Absolutely. Well, yesterday we saw the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee considered a number of supply chain related bills and a particular bill in Significance with agriculture and the soybean industry that was passed was HR 3372. This bill, introduced by Congressman Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, would establish a voluntary pilot program for states to increase truck weights on federal interstates up to ninety-one thousand pounds on six axles. This bill was passed out of the committee out of the committee by a thirty-three to twenty-seven vote. Bo- And as we look at next steps now, the bill will proceed to the full House of Representatives for consideration, and a companion bill in the Senate is expected to also be introduced fairly quickly. Um, This has been an issue long promoted by lots of different commodities, including specifically corn and soybeans, but many states, Tanner, have allowed increased weight limits with additional access, with additional axles, excuse me, on state and local roads And the bill here would also help to increase that federally. Um, States still will be able to decide if they wish not to allow the configuration, they can elect not to do so. But increasing the truck weight limits without increasing the truck size uh, will hopefully allow a smoother transportation system for our grains moving via truck. And most importantly, they said motorist safety is, of course, strongly related to the density of semi-traffics and something that they really took into consideration with this bill. So, Tanner, when you look at the current weight limit, which is 80,000 pounds semis over five axles, and you compare that to using six axles, six axles with 91,000 pounds spread across the semis, you're just going to be able to haul a lot more grain to and from the elevator. And haul it a lot faster than what you currently can do. So they're estimating that between those two types of semis, uh, it's going to be a lot of impact, not only on the amount of trips you're making and saving if you have a more weight load allowed, but also on diesel costs. And they're saying that that also helped really drive this bipartisan support here is because looking at diesel and input costs for farmers has been extremely expensive over the last couple of years, and they're looking at ways to help with efficiency. So hopefully we see that passed in both the House and the Senate.
0: Yeah, I know locally here in central Iowa, as we're kind of surrounded by interstate highways, that it creates an obstacle when you're fully loaded to find county or state highways to transport your grain rather than taking the interstate system. The United States government is also still in a standstill related to the debt ceiling. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy appears ready to send home his members after their votes for the holiday weekend. Thursday signals debt negotiations will probably continue at the risk of uh, first ever default. McCarthy stated this morning that negotiators made some progress yesterday, but he's unsure that they will get to a point of reaching a deal today, which means his house will go home for the holiday weekend. Negotiators are trying to make progress on a handful of outstanding issues. Cutting federal spending uh, remains the major point. The White House is weighing the GOP demands in exchange for the loan concession of possibly raising the debt limit. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is repeatedly saying that her target date, now deemed as X-Day, is still June 1st. The U.S. Treasury will not be able to pay all of its bills on that day. Meanwhile, warning signs are popping up around credit monitoring agencies as to what happens if the U.S. defaults. Two of the biggest watchers are China and Japan. The clock ticks down towards the unprecedented U.S. default. And what does that mean for China and Japan? Japan, They are our largest foreign investors, the American national government debt. Together, they own $2 trillion of the $7.6 trillion in U.S. securities owned by foreign countries. Beijing started to ramp up its buying, started in 2000, and now has uh, amassed A large portfolio. Currently, though, Tokyo holds 1.1 trillion compared to China's 8.7 or 870 billion. That's a heavy exposure, though, for both countries who are looking to continue to watch what's going on. The falling value of treasuries would lead to a drop, obviously, in Japan and China's foreign reserves. This means they would have less money to pay for essential imports, therefore, creating a potential chain reaction as far as the government goes. So we're going to continue to watch negotiations there to see where we end up on those sides of things.
2: Well, Tanner, we got fresh word that a new soybean fungicide from BASF will be available to growers in 2024. Revilock brings together two of the latest fungicidal act ingredients from BASF, Revisol, and Exeum. And this new fungicide tool, Revilock, will be, they're saying, an effective tool to protect yield due to its faster uptake in the plant and its long-lasting residual. But they're hoping that it equips growers with the confidence to get the most out of their acres by avoiding the stressful onset of disease. So that is an exciting new tool that farmers will be able to use here in 2024 they're doing over 400 different field trials this growing season and i'm sure they'll share the results of that next year as they roll out the product for commercial availability tanner
0: hey there we go i've got two quick hit headlines of course we're going to talk ethanol real fast ethanol output declined week over week production fell to 983,000 barrels per day in the week that ended may 19th that's down from 987 so just a small slide there Midwest continues to be the largest producing region. However, ethanol inventories dropped to 22.041 million barrels the week of May 19th. That's down from 23.191, nearly a million barrels less. This is the lowest level for a seven days ending since November 11th. So that is quite a large drop there. Americans, though, as surveyed by Newsweek, still are fans of meat and state that it is a healthy choice. According to that survey, the poll showed that 35% of people strongly agreed to the statement that it is healthy to eat meat. 41 selected that they agreed. 17 selected that they are neutral. So well over half, nearly all. Only 4% said they disagreed and 1% said they strongly disagreed that meat was healthy to eat. Additionally, 81% of people eat meat once a week, 10% said that they only ate it twice a month, four and 3% said they rarely or never eat meat. The poll showed that 45% say it is not safe to eat lab-grown meat, and 57% said they would not eat it even if it was deemed safe. Although 30% of the people said they believe lab-grown meat provides a realistic alternative and could be a product of the future, There's still a large respondent's portion stated that they would not choose to use that product. Professor of Meat Science at the University of Illinois stated that uh, they are continuing to see Americans choose holiday weekends or choose meat for their holiday weekend festivities. As we approach Memorial Day weekend, they don't see a change in that and hope to see record-setting demands across the country. So there's my ethanol and meat headlines to wrap out my news, Delaney.
2: Awesome. Well, I have just two more quick headlines here to share with our listeners, the first of which is related to grain coming out of the Russian-Ukraine corridor. The Ukrainian port of Pivdenyi has halted operations because Russia is apparently not allowing ships to enter it. And they are cutting into the ability to get ships in and out of that region. We're also seeing reports that dozens of ships are unable to reach Ukraine days after the Black Sea deal was extended, and that the pace of shipments is unlikely to pick up due to slow inspections and other uncertainties, according to data from three industry sources. There have been nearly 40 dry bulk vessels stationary around Istanbul, And a lot of ships are just sitting there waiting to get into their appropriate ports, Tanner. But Pivdanyu, like I just mentioned there, has accounted for about 35% of shipments through the corridor. And until it restarts loading, it says trade's going to be really hard and a struggle to get through those areas. So, so far, got a lot of ships backing up here and a lot of grain and products that are getting backed up as well. So, Hopefully, we'll see some things happen there. I'm just i i I'm sure that there's more going on behind closed doors here you know, that we just don't even fathom, but it does call into question when these deals are reached, really, what's the deal here? Because aside from safe passage, Russia is really not allowing a lot of grain to come in and out of the area. So is this really a true deal? I don't know, but that's just my thought for today.
0: Yeah, interesting to just see how things play out. Interesting, too, since I haven't looked yet, how did markets start off for today?
2: Markets are starting off a little bit weaker in the grain. It's going to be that time of year we start talking about weather and drought. And as I mentioned earlier, 50 percent of the acres in North Dakota have not yet been planted. So prevent plan is also going to be a topic of discussion here moving forward as well, Tanner. But As we look here at the midday, July corn is up about two and three quarters cents at 590, where new crop corn is down about a penny and a quarter here at the midday at 518 and three quarters. July soybeans down about a penny here at the midday at 1324. New crop beans down about five and a half cents at 1179. In the wheat complex, July hard red winter wheat up eight and a half cents today at 820 and a half and livestock at the midday tanner are certainly not spurred by any excitement of increased consumption during the holiday weekend. June live cattle down two and a half cents at a buck 66.07. August feeders down 97.5 cents today at 233.55 and June lean hogs down $2.10 at 77.70. Tanner, we are chatting today about AM radio and the importance that it has in the cab. Now, I will preface this by saying we recorded this interview late last week, and we've already got some fresh news, Tanner, that the Ford CEO has decided to now continue to include AM radio in their 2024 models and make it available to electric vehicles that previously were not included in that, but will other Manufacturers follow suit. That's a question we're going to discuss today with Joe Gill. What we've chatted quite a bit about the headline that AM radio is being removed by a lot of auto manufacturers from new vehicles. And we're going to discuss this issue more today with the president of the National Association of Farm Broadcasters, otherwise known as NAFB, Joe Gill. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's dive right in and and talk about the backstory about AM radio, because we in agriculture know that AM radio provides a really reliable source for folks to get news and farm information, but there's more to the story than just that.
1: Correct, Delaney. Thank you very much uh, for the invite, and This is something I think that was on the radar for a lot of folks involved in radio for the last few years. It was the emergence of EV vehicles and the possibility of AM radio not being included and available on these vehicle dashboards. And I think this past year, it's really come to the surface and come to our attention at NAFB and many other organizations with AM radio if it's not included the impact it could have on listeners and it's a, it's a multifaceted impact which is negative and and we hope we can maybe serve as more education here on why it should be included
0: so as we look at a way to continue to you know try to convince them for future inclusion give our listeners a little bit of a background as to what the NAFB is and what role it might have
1: The National Association of Farm Broadcasting Tanner we are made up of over 800 members whether it's broadcasters uh, folks involved in in marketing or station ownership and management and uh, NAFB will be celebrating its 80th uh, anniversary and its uh, November convention uh, coming up here in a few months in in Kansas City and as an organization um, we've done a lot of research too and just kind of looking over our listenership and what do they find important? And it seems like it's always kind of a three-pronged approach where they find uh, local news, uh, local weather, and of course, uh, markets and and farm information because agriculture is uh, one of our major focuses on our listenership and plays a a vital role, of course, in our country, even though it encompasses such a, a small percentage of people.
2: Yeah, and the other thing I just find so important is that AM radio, if communication went down worldwide, we're in some sort of major apocalypse or world war or whatever, AM radio really is the only way that we would still be able to get emergency news and information out to people, regardless of where they're located in the United States. And I think that's a really important piece that a lot of people don't realize, Joe.
1: I know Delaney, I think a lot of people have taken that for granted because, um, Those in radio are very familiar with EAS, emergency alert system. And if that tornado is coming through or any other big national concern, nothing can compare or uh, duplicate what AM radio can do in its reach. And I know the big argument is, well, we can stream a a lot of stations and, and therefore that ability in these EV vehicles is possible But then again, as you know, Tanner may know as well, that a lot of rural America, proper internet and reliability is still not available here in 2023. So uh, to have AM radio is such a big asset uh, to keep in vehicle dashboards.
0: So for uh, those of us that don't fully grasp the difference between how AM is transmitted versus FM versus how products can get streamed as described. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for us?
1: I'll take the angle Tanner of of looking at, for example, I was speaking to one uh, radio station owner and, and farm broadcaster and he says, we've had streaming with our AM station available for nearly 20 years. And they look at the diagnostics behind it and they say, hands down, still after 20 years, people who access their station and their signal hands down they still use it through am radio as far as an online service they say it really doesn't even compare Uh, yes it's great to have that avenue but they say it's not being used by their listeners and, and they have a signal that goes over four or five different states here in the midwest so they use that as a prime example yes it's great to have that ability but still with am radio that signal can travel long distances. I know I'm based in Minnesota. our Our signal is is twenty one hundred watts, and I know that sounds so minuscule in the whole scheme of things, but still, we can touch three different states. And I, I find that's amazing. And we have AM signals that you know have one hundred thousand watts where they reach five, six, seven different states. So, Once again, I think that's just a prime example of what AM radio can do and its power.
2: And Joe, I think we're starting to get more momentum behind the importance of AM radio with folks that are making legislative decisions out in Congress. Give us an update on where things sit, because currently it's not mandated that AM radio has to stay in vehicles, but NAFB and other organizations are certainly making moves to make that the case.
1: Yes, that's correct. It's not mandated. And I'll start off by saying, too, nobody really likes to, likes to have a mandate. Mandates sometimes uh, can be taken in, in such a different way. So sometimes uh, I, I feel that's where a lot of uh, pressure back uh, resistance will be will be had because of a mandate. A lot of folks, even as citizens, don't like to be uh, given what they have to do or a lack of options. But um, it's some legislation brought up here as of late, and it's a bipartisan relationship with uh, Ed Markey out of Massachusetts and Mr. Ted Cruz out of Texas. And putting this uh, bill together, uh, the bill in the Senate right now is under uh, number 1669. In the House, there is a companion bill, uh, number 3413 as well, if folks would like to follow along. But as you said, Delaney, it's to mandate and to tell vehicle manufacturers you must include AM radio in the dashboard. And, and from a, a broadcaster and supporter of AM radio, it's it's kind of like the silver bullet. If we could get this to go through, well, that's going to address a lot of concerns, answer a lot of questions. Um, but to tell folks um, the status of this, we're still at the very beginning stages on seeing where this could go and getting other congressional leaders and legislative leaders getting their support. And early on, I think we're seeing some positive support in this issue. It's receiving uh, quite a bit of uh, local, regional, and even national attention.
0: Yeah, it's certainly getting a lot of attention, like you stated, because our listeners are aware of it through conversations that we've had. And it was a little bit of a surprise to some of us to realize that there could just be advancements like this made in automobiles to begin with where it's dropped off. What's next? Tractors, farm equipment, commercial equipment, standard radios that are sold. Do you see if we don't make progress on uh, keeping it within vehicles, it'd be a stair-step effect into other radios?
1: Tanner, I think that's a great point you made right there because I think a lot of our concern as an industry is what precedent is it going to send because you can better believe if AM radio goes to the side, FM radio is going to follow. And if it's not available in your vehicles, yeah, how about tractors and other technology as we move ahead? I think that's a huge point and, and I always use the analogy, you know, the the cows are out of the barn already. We're just trying to keep them in the pasture now because obviously vehicles are being made right now that do not include AM radio. But that precedent, I think that that's such a huge thing and such a great point because in five to 10 years, what's next? We don't know. So to try and stay ahead of that curve is so very important right now.
2: So Joe, for those of our listeners that are sitting at home thinking, hey, I use AM radio and I want to be able to keep this in my vehicle moving forward or my tractor and I don't want things to snowball, what can they do to get involved in the discussion?
1: Right now, there's so many things to do. First of all, reach out to your legislative leaders in Washington, D.C. A simple phone call, a simple email. Uh, The National Association of Broadcasters, also known as NAB, is also doing a great job. And many of our our state broadcasting organizations are all working together in this effort. And you might hear a a PSA on your your local station or your uh, local stream that you listen to. And that's going to really give you a a plan, an action plan where there might be a website or a link or a text message you can send. And every little bit really does uh, count. It really does as we move ahead. So. If uh, AM radio and that content is important to you, there, there's going to be multiple things uh, which are, I think, just starting to come out here. Some are available right now, but you can always uh, reach out to your legislative leader and say, hey, AM radio is important. It can be such a very short message and saying, you know what, I depend on local weather or I depend on markets. I, I depend on uh, local happenings in our area and my local AM radio station is how I get those. And it can be as simple as that, and it can have a really big impact.
0: Well, we appreciate you hanging out with us today and giving our listeners a little bit of an update. It's always fun to follow up these messages that we present as headlines with some more facts and details. Joe, thank you so much for hanging out.
1: Thanks, Tanner. Thank you, Delaney. Sure. Appreciate it.
0: It's always fun to get perspective as to how important some issues are, especially to agriculture and to our listeners. So it's a good conversation for us to have today, Delaney. I hope you enjoy your trip. Uh, Listeners, enjoy your weekend. We will be back with you on Tuesday. So don't look for us tomorrow or on Monday. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Right, Delaney?
2: That's right, Tanner. So with that, should we let our listeners go?
0: Let's let them go.